0: This is a Radio.Com original.
1: I gotta say, you guys, you're looking fun. And your hair looks fine. Mine, this is, uh, I did this myself. This, I, about uh, five weeks ago, my hair was getting long. And I said, I can't, I, I, I have a clipper, which I use on my cat, believe it or not. <laughs> anyway, so I put I put the guard on. I tried to do the, the short and the size long and the top. It was going wrong. I took the guard off to zap my hair. It just went bald. I did, the, I did the most logical thing and I just chopped it off. And it's wonderful, it was wonderful at first.
2: Um, now you get stuck to your pillow at night because you're sticky. <laughs> <to> you. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's right. Everybody thinks I'm in the Marines or something like that or, you know. <laughs>
0: yes to another all new edition of the talking about cars podcast where it's all about everybody has a car story a chance to forget about some of the craziness that's going on out there and believe me as you know it's crazy out there right now. and concentrating on the good stuff the craziness right here on the show indulging some great car stories from celebrities and car personalities and joining us today me hot rod hello that's my no. <laughs> and joining us today me, Randy Cardoon, that's hot about Bob Beck. And yes, the one and only, the guy who knows more about cars than we don't even pretend to know, Steve Magnante, you know, you know. from Barrett-Jackson. He's got his show on Motor Trend TV Network, wrote, and it's Junkyard Gold. I'm going to talk about that as well. Hey, Steve, how are you, man? Good to see you. Doing great.
1: Yeah, you got to love technology. Here we are, we're all quarantined or at least staying home. Uh, but it feels like we're in the same studio. It works great. 3,200 yep. miles apart on Massachusetts to your California, but it feels like we're next door.
0: Tell us a little bit about first off, uh, you're on a show called um, Junkyard Gold, the uh, Motor Trend app. The first thing I thought of when I saw that and I saw you were doing that and knowing your propensity for information that we see on uh, Barrett Jackson and the books you've done, whose pitch was that? Was that your pitch to them about a show to do or were or did somebody think like you and just say, "I this is a great show for Steve." Well, I'll tell you that was it
1: was it was my idea, and uh, I got to say, I pitched that that show for five years to Velocity Channel, and they didn't get it. They didn't understand it. I think what it was, I didn't have any face tattoos. There was nobody yelling. There was no fire, no none of that. <laughs> it was a it was a car show for car people, and somehow Velocity Channel. They didn't understand that. So I'll leave it at that. Velocity Channel's history and now a motor trend uh, David Freiberger in particular. Uh, of course, the you know the guy who created Roadkill, he and Freiberger and Finnegan. Uh, Freiberger, I pitched him the story and I sent him a pilot that I shot on my dime about five years ago. And he says, why aren't we doing this? And they did it as an experiment and it was a, a tremendous success people liked it and uh, I can I can thank Dave Freiberger really and of course Motor Trend for for giving it a home and the funny thing is a lot of the folks who were at Velocity are now at Motor Trend and some of the folks aren't they went off on their different directions but um, but it is true that in some cases you know executives who decide things about automotive programming aren't car people and that was a problem so they thought it was too teachy the original pilot it's the same thing we do now but again they weren't really car people they were they were deciding the fate of the show But anyway, the the, the the gods won out, and the show is, is somewhat of a success. People seem to like it. So we're in season four. As soon as we start shooting again, uh, we just wrapped season three uh, when this thing all kind of hit the fan. But uh, but it's a, it's a nice thing to have a success and, and have people understand it.
2: Where have you gotten all your automotive knowledge? Because you are a world of knowledge. You know which screw goes in what hole on, on which grill for which car. And I love listening to you when you're uh, when you're talking.
1: Well, I guess I'll say, you know, I'm, I'm 55 and when it's probably about eight years old, nine years old, I started getting matchbox cars. I started building model cars after that. And uh, by the age 12, 15, I started to discover car magazines, Motor Trend, Hot Rod, Superstock, Car and Driver, uh, Car Craft, all those great books. And reading those magazines really kind of tuned me into the history of cars. And of course, um, you know, the authorities who wrote about them, Roger Huntington, Marty Shore, uh, people like that. Uh, and just reading their stuff made me an official. I guess a professional uh, spectator in the world of cars. And that led to me just sort of containing and learning all I can about cars. And, and I will say that on Vera Jackson, when you see me again, I guess I spent 50, 15 years, 52 shows on Vera Jackson, but in my left hand, I always have a little notepad. And that notepad contains things I'm going to say about the car. So I do prepare and uh, you know, if I, if somebody tried to stump me up on paint code or something like that, it would be very easy to do, but I know, you know, enough about the cars to say things and we never want to guess about cars. So I prepare when I need to, and when I'm ready to speak about cars without notes, I can do that too. But preparation goes a long way because we owe the cars more than a guess. And that's kind of the trick of it. Just preparing, preparing, you know, before you go on camera and before you go on the stage to, to make sure that you have something that's uh, pertinent and not a guess.
0: And that's got to work also on the junkyard show because you don't, I'm assuming now you don't just walk up to a 58 Edsel and go, hey, let's just take a look at the code, which somehow you know all the codes, uh, all the VIN numbers and what it all means. And I mean, is there a situation where you actually show up the day before, look at some of the cars you like, then look them up and that way you can spontaneously tell us what it's all about the next day or how does that all work? Yeah, well well here here right now this is, ruin Hollywood for everybody now. Yeah, this
1: is a notebook right here, okay? This is Junkyard Gold. This is book two for season three. In here are notes that I create, right? Things I'm gonna say now here's the thing yes I fly in early about three days early uh, we scout the junkyard digitally or online to make sure that it's not all new cars because the show is about vintage cars so we find yards that have a good collection of old stuff then I fly in three days even four days before the crew comes in I scout the yard and then I find the vehicles I'm going to showcase and then yes I get very busy creating say about those cars based on what they have as options. So yes, you've got to prepare. Um, You know, I mean, there's a level of professionalism that kind of should be maintained. And to go into the junkyard and just start guessing would would be a a bunch of guesses which is okay but uh you know there's only one shot to do the show so i I do prepare and i create things i'm going to say about the car uh and there's seven of these notebooks right here for for the three seasons and they're all packed with handwritten stuff so i i keep them and sometimes just off camera there might be a little cue cards that i don't guess and i get it right without having to screw up and make a bunch of takes so yes preparation is part of 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 any good tv production or or anything really preparation is the bottom line but um but you know the thing is though we get to these yards and I don't always know. Um, here's the thing. We have a theme. Each show, there's a theme. The cars fit a theme, either, you know, cops and robbers. and But I don't know what that theme is going to be until we get to the show and the cars then create the theme. Like we went to One Yard in Idaho. And there was a five-liter police car, a 74 LTD police car, a Torino, excuse me, a Q code, 351 Cobra Jet police car, two-door, very strange car. And then that that led to cops and robbers, police cars versus hot rods. So we found five vehicles, two cop cars, three hot rods, and that led to the theme, cops and robbers. But when I get to the yard, um, again, I start making notes, but I don't know what the theme is going to be till I get
0: there. The cars then tell me what it's going to be. Oh. Ah. If that makes any sense. <laughs> no, that, that does understandably. Good. Bobby.
2: How do you how do you figure out which junkyards to go to? Do you get leads from someone? Uh a guys telling you, Hey, I've been to this junkyard and
0: you gotta see this. Or Pretty do they hat. or do they show yeah. up and say, Hey, come on out to my junkyard because I got this, that, or something else? Yeah, well, it's a bit of a
1: bit of everything, really. In some cases, you know, rabid viewers will say to us, hey, this this yard in Wisconsin is awesome. There's a couple yards of the place called Zebs in Wisconsin. We haven't been there yet. But we're going to go. Uh, and here we get words from people about yards that are you know, amazing. A place in, uh, in uh, White, Georgia, Old Car City, USA. An amazing place. Went there, shot three episodes there. And uh, it's it's it. mostly it's word of mouth and sometimes Hemmings Motor News. You'll see a a junkyard in Hemmings that has a bunch of Edsels or something like that. Uh, And we go, we hit them up. In fact, there's a place in uh, Elizabeth, Colorado called Rambler Ranch. We went there. This fellow named Terry Gale, uh, a well-off fellow who has in the middle of the Colorado woods a bunch of beautiful uh, steel buildings. In them are restored Ramblers. Well, the show's not... Junk, if not museum gold, but in the back of the place, he's got just all kinds of AMCs out in the woods. So we did a couple episodes there uh, at Rambler Ranch, and I read about that place in Hemming's Classic Bar. So we get the ideas to go in many ways, but uh, if, if the yard is good, the only thing is kind of a nightmare is a couple times, you know, we've asked the fellow who owns the yard, You got old cars? Oh, yeah, I got a bunch of them. He has 12 old cars and 900 <laughs> late model pickup trucks. You're like, Oh, no. So we try to avoid that. I mean, the show, it could be compelling, and, you know, I, in the fourth season, I, I will include. We're going to do trucks and maybe some late model stuff. You know, maybe some 80s and 90s. You know, maybe some of that, uh, and some import stuff for sure. Some Porsches, some sobs, things like that. We did we did a sports car episode, in fact, in Texas, and that was a function of getting to the yard and realizing that this guy had. A lot of old cars, but a lot of new stuff too. But we did find a bunch of interesting sports cars, a Jensen Healey, a Porsche 914, some, you know, MGA's. Some we did a sports car episode. I think that's on right now on Motor Trend. So so we don't know what's going to happen until we get there. But uh, we do, we qualify the yard beforehand to make sure they really, really, really have uh, enough old cars and we don't get stuck like in a late model pick apart, you know, which could be, I think, boring to the viewer potentially because it's all new stuff. I may be wrong, but at this point we focus on older cars.
2: Have you thought about... Uh what is it that, is there a car or a a type of yard you want to go to that you haven't found yet?
1: Wow. Well, you know, um, we were in a Studebaker junkyard in Texas, <laughs> and that was that was a great place. I mean, because that guy had everything from uh, a Lowy Coupe of 53. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, the Starliner's the 50, the Studebaker's going backwards, that whole thing, and uh, the wagon air. And uh, he didn't have no, uh, no Avanties, but otherwise, almost everything from Studebaker's greatest hits was there. And so that was cool. Uh, we went to a place with a bunch of Mustangs, went to an all Mopar yard. So we've kind of hit a lot of stuff. Uh, There's an all Buick yard, hit that one up. Um, so it bit a little bit of anything. I would like to go to a yard with a lot of vintage Volkswagens. I think that a, a beetle episode would be good, but finding a yard with a bunch of like some '49s, some 51s, you know, that kind of some head molars, you know, Carmen gears, uh, you know, and, and again, junkyards are one thing and personal hordes. That's another thing too. So as we go into these things by season 10, if there is such a thing uh, we might have, you know, squeezed the sponge to the point where we're Dream open. Bank, to Steve. And- <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Dream big. Yeah, I hope so. We'll, you know, we'll see. But uh, So, yeah, we're open to anything. If it's an old car that's interesting, has a story, we're on it. A Stutz Bearcat Junkyard. Now, that's something I don't think we'll ever find. <laughs> yeah, no, I, don't yeah, so. yeah. No, I don't think so. Yeah,
0: I don't think so. You know, the way you go through and you you come up with all this information, and, and granted, you do it because you research it, but uh, this will probably air after this whole thing is done for him. But uh, you notice Chris Jacobs is doing – hosting SpaceX. Yeah, yeah. How cool no, is that? I, it...
1: It is. It's an honor to work with that guy. I mean, he's he's a, a jack of all trades. In fact, he's been in movies with Christopher Walken and Johnny Depp, and stuff like that. He's, you know, he's he's got a, a long history. And I think he's kind of he has a Clark Gable vibe. I think the older he gets, the more work he'll get. He's kind of got that look to him. You know what I mean? I think drama and stuff will be his thing. But yeah, I was watching. It was a bummer. They didn't launch yesterday, and for good reason. I guess there was a storm coming. But, but he also did uh, Skyscraper Live. Remember that a few years ago? There was a fellow right. who walked between two skyscrapers. And then also, I think uh, Egypt Pyramid Live. Opened up a tomb uh, last uh, last I think it was uh, January I think it was they were somewhere in Egypt so he gets around but it's cool he's kind of the go-to guy for these live events to call the shots as things are happening so Clark Abel
0: you know, if you were, have you ever told yeah.
1: him he looks like Clark Abel. <laughs> You know, I did. I did. I did said, you? Gary Grant, Clark Gable, he says, well, I get that. He's got the chin and stuff like that. You know, he's, he's you know, a good-looking dude, whatever. That's what Hollywood eats up. They love that kind of stuff.
0: So. He's a modest guy, yeah. and that's the important thing. I like that about Chris. Uh, but, you yeah. know, it's it's interesting. He tosses to Rick De Brule all the time on your show, Barrett Jackson. Now, Rick is, and, and again, this is probably for a very small portion of our audience, but he's a Cal Poly San Luis Obispo guy. Dave Curley who is working with Chris on this uh, SpaceX thing? He's actually a Cal Poly guy, and I'm a Cal Poly guy. And Chris has Imagine been out that. The show. So the thing is, the only way you get Chris Jacobs is show your diploma, and then Chris will answer your phone calls. So I did
2: okay. Now he he does show up for our car club meetings every once in a while.
0: Uh, There's got to be a Cal Poly guy in there, I think, somewhere. But, uh, you know, I we, gave, Poly, we
2: gave him an honorary membership. We oh,
0: well, okay. Then you, you <laughs> but, you, you know,
2: I, I saw him on the SpaceX thing yesterday, and I didn't recognize him at first. It's the first time I've okay. seen him without a hat on. Yeah,
0: that's true. Yeah. Oh, you yeah. haven't seen his show, other show? Well, with Lisa
2: no, because no, all I see, well, I did once, but uh, most of the time he's got a hat on. Right. So yeah. seeing him without a hat is very unusual. That's right.
1: That's right. he does. He he was doing a show called long lost family with Lisa Joyner and they did, I think three or four seasons. It wasn't picked up again. He mentioned that, I guess after three or four. Uh No, unfortunately, I thought it was a great show. It brought me to tears. I'd weep a little bit. I don't cry that much, but it was a great show, you know, and Chris himself is is adopted. He'll, he'll tell you that. And so we kind of rang a a chord with him. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, Raised by a great, great family, I'm sure. But, uh, but that rang a bell with him and uh, good on him for, you know, for putting his, uh, for being in that show.
0: Right. I worked with Lisa at Fox 11 many moons ago, but we don't need to talk. It's not all about me. It's about this guy. But I will say this uh, back to Chris and SpaceX is I just had this crazy dream one night that you were that Chris was introducing SpaceX and they were talking about the rocket. And then you showed up and you looked at the VIN number on SpaceX and you immediately started talking about, well, this came with a rocket thruster of a certain variety. that's right. The left, left-hand left thread fasteners on
1: the titanium bolts that hold <laughs> yeah. it together. You know, funny thing is, I, I went to a place called Clark University in Worcester, Massachusetts. Graduated in 1986, but um, um, what's his name there? This fellow was a rocketeer uh, expert. What was his name? Gosh. Anyway, 1920s. Yeah, he was he was a big rocketeer fellow uh, and he was a Clark professor. And in fact, uh, Werner von Braun and the Germans read this fellow's documentation and dissertations on rocketry from the states in Spencer, Massachusetts. And then um, and then, of course, put those rockets to use during World War II, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And of course, going to the moon, you know, but uh, but rocketry, Clark University. I forget. What's this guy's name? Gosh, drawing a blank anyway.
0: Robert Goddard. 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 Robert, Goddard. Robert Goddard. Bingo. Yeah. Goddard. Goddard. Right. There you go.
1: Robert Goddard. Yeah, yeah. In fact, there's a time capsule at Clark that's supposed to be opened, I think, in 2030 or something like that. And it's a sealed tube in the ground. And in there are some things that he put in there along with other folks. So, anyway. Wow time capsules Clark University but yeah neat thing though SpaceX the whole idea of a private company you know Elon Musk you know taking uh, taking the next step and and picking up where NASA left off and potentially uh you know commercializing space flight what a cool thing it's only 60 million I think for a seat on that thing or something like that I won't be writing but so when uh, you get to your
0: 30th anniversary 30th uh season of the show you're going to be on Mercury or something and it's going to be like well, we found this space junk and let's take a look at the VIN number. I think it'll work. Let's pitch it now. Well, maybe not Mercury. Mercury's a little warm, I think. But, you know, I think it's a possibility.
1: You know, on that theme, actually, I we sometimes you know we have brainstorms. I did pitch uh, a, a potential episode at Davis-Monthan Air Force Base, Pima, Arizona, where they have a junkyard for airplanes. And I know that uh, because you know the Salt Treaty, you know Strategic Arms Limitation. Uh, every so often, a B fifty two has to be chopped, and there's a Russian satellite that flies over to make that make sure that's happening. So I'm um, we may do an episode there and just walk through that junkyard and explore the the, fal- the phantoms, the uh, the various jet air. Craft that uh, you know were built during Korea and then from there after, and so we might do an airplane junkyard episode,
0: which would make some sense, I think. That's junkyard gold.
2: Yeah, you
1: know I think and that'd
0: we, be cool, for especially if he does the thing where you know what I do to fix this up, and then yeah. <laughs> of course they have the animation come up. <laughs> right.
2: Right. And took like a little uh, turtle wax and clean off the numbers on the side. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know we have we have a junkyard like that too up uh, in Southern California. Outside Edwards Air Force Base. Yes. Where they've yeah. got a lot of uh, planes of that nature, too. Uh, yeah. We're just waiting for them to take them out of mothballs one day and say, okay, they're flying them again. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. Are they jetliners? Is that kind of, it's jet jetliners, too, right?
2: I, the, I, yeah, I think
1: they have parking areas yeah. for that,
2: sure. Yeah, commercial as well as uh, military.
1: That's cool. That's cool. Yeah, hot riding takes many forms, not just on four
2: tires. You know. Oh yeah.
1: I mean, you know, supersonic flight, submarines. I mean, any number of things that that we use to uh, to get around. Hot riding is everywhere.
2: It's cool. well, and and how many racers have taken a jet plane to make into a car? Or well, the yeah. technology, for better or worse, in some cases. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. yes. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, yeah. what was it back when? And Bob mentioned this a little bit before, but when you were just getting to the point of really digging into this vast treasure trove of information that you've been looking at. Uh, I mean, what got you into that? Was it started, was it basically you starting to read the manuals uh, to be able to recognize what these, all these VIN numbers are on these cars?
1: Well, you know, the Barrett-Jackson, I started doing that back in 2005 and it's been 15 years and the first show I did was Florida. And at that point in time, you know, I, I, I watched the show the year before that, Alan de was on the block. And what I kind of noticed was that they were doing okay work but like a Boss 429 Mustang would come up and, and Alan I love the guy but he was British fellow, doesn't really know the cars well didn't grow up with them so he opened a hood well that's quite a lump he'd say looking at a Boss 429 it's not a lump and I'd say is that the T or the S I see magnesium valve covers uh, Alan that would be the the, the, the better engine the solid cam but he didn't go there so so I kind of I, I turned the, the knob up to 10 instead of a 9 put it that way so when I got there for that Florida show in 05 I just brought a little an extra level of technicality to the show Although I will say that, Craig, sometimes um, I go a little far. Here's what happens. Like, I'll put my flashlight on the rear axle of of a Roadrunner, and there's a Dana 60, but it's kind of got a rusty cover on it. And Craig says, hey, Steve, don't put your flashlight up the car's rear end on camera so if it's not a pretty if it's not a pretty sight he says don't do that so i kind of have to sort of check myself to make sure that i'm not about to you know show rusty springs or something because you know the image and aura of barrett-jackson the cars are pristine and they mostly are but sometimes they're just cars but that said i kind of have to check myself to make sure i'm not, not about to put the camera on something that's not pretty to look at i, I get that good
0: point yeah i understand that
2: Randy and I came across a vehicle. We were Barrett Jackson two years ago at Scottsdale, and we came across a gentleman who had a car that he thought was worth mm, x amount of dollars and when it went across the block, it went mm, tanked What do you do when you're when you 're looking at a car and you know what basically the reserve is or if someone 's got a reserve or a, a goal, but you know so much about the you know enough about the car who say, yeah, this isn't quite right. How do you hold yourself back?
1: Well, you know, my job on, on the auction block on TV is to accentuate the positive. That's what I do. I'm not there to rain on the parade. And every car on this planet, you can find something to not like about it, potentially, you know, it's, it's no fun. So I, I just, you know, it gives some history about the car, but with that said, uh, about ninety-eight percent of the cars at Barrett Jackson are no reserve cars, which means you know that if the room isn't strong and if the bidders aren't there, and they usually are. One thing that Barrett Jackson does a great job of is having two bidders per car at least. That's the ratio they maintain. So, but if the car is is not bidding for strong money and it sells for you know eight thousand on a twenty thousand dollar hope. Uh, It sells for eight grand. Again, it's a no-reserve auction. So that's the thing you have to remember. The other side of that coin is the psychology of a no-reserve auction is that the people in the the auction room say to themselves, that car is going to sell. It's not going to be a no-sale. And the guy, you know, put it this way, if you're there bidding on cars, you might get the idea that the, the average guy wants too much for his car. The reserve's insane. Why bother bidding? Well, in a no-reserve auction, that car is going to sell, so everybody bids. And more often than not, the selling price, the hammer price is a little – it makes people happy. i leave it like that. But there are cases, sure, where people uh, – they, they get less than they hope they will, and a lot of cases where people get a lot more than they think they will. And generally, the market speaks. The, the folks who spend big money on those vehicles generally know something. You know, like if the Corvette, if it's a 427 tri-powered car that was born a small block, and it's generally understood. Um, it's going to sell for what it's worth. You know, that's kind of the way that that works. More often than not, I've seen, I, I have high respect for the bidders at Barrett-Jackson for the most part. When we're talking about the heavy-duty cars, they do their homework, and, and the cars sell for about what it's worth. The one thing I don't understand, well, I do understand, but it's about um, plenty of uh, surplus cash, is when a, a Blazer sells for 80000 bucks to an LS1, and it just looks right, and the guy just wants it, and 80000 that happens a lot at auctions, and, you know, it just shows that the economy is strong, and people are buying what they want because they can't. So Happens happens a lot of times in no reserve launches.
0: Speaking of Barrett Jackson, in the pandemic, everything is on hold. Have you heard anything from them as far as when, I mean, and they're doing a lot of stuff online, which is good, yeah. but as far as getting back to the actual events, have you heard anything as far as when they might be ready to start doing this again? Well, the thing you have to remember is
1: that, you know, Barrett Jackson, the desires to run the show is one thing, but the ability to do that at the venue, which they don't own, is a whole other thing. And Mohegan Sun, which is the uh, the, the Connecticut-based... Um, Casino where they're going to have the next auction in June. Well, they're not open for business yet. So, as a result, Barrett Jackson, I think, took the bull by the horns and, and canceled that show. Uh, and I don't think they're even open for business, Mohican Sun. So, the bottom line, I think the word is that the next show, the next auction, will be October, Las Vegas. That's the assumption. But everything between here and there has been postponed and canceled. Because, again, you know, if Barrett Jackson owned the venue, uh, and even then, if they did, they'd have to satisfy state regulations. So, you know, they'd love to start doing these things right away. But I know that it won't be till October till there's an other auction
2: for sure what's a car that you haven't seen yet across the block that you'd like to see just to find out where the market is
1: Hmm, that's a good question well you know I, I think I'll answer that in another way. My, my favorite thing on this planet are factory-built superstocks, and more specifically factory AFX cars, the altered wheelbase Plymouth and Dodge fleet from 1965. And uh, we have seen some of those cars cross the block at Bear Jackson. Uh, in particular, there was the, a car called the Kentucky Colonel, which was a 65 Coronet Dodge that sold at Scottsdale uh, this past do that in 2020 and it didn't go for much like 53,000 bucks you know which and and to me that was kind of a, a crest moment because to me it's a million dollar car it's the most important car in the world not really but it was a very well preserved a990 they've been turned into a funny car in 1966 and only 53,000 you know what I mean so it had to have been worth more I'm thinking but somebody bought that right but uh, to me I think you know if I could get the, the string of 65 afx cars to cross the block and and have them advertised properly it'd be cool to see what they're really worth but uh, we've seen I think a couple of those cars and some clones and some some max wedges and things but uh um yeah i think factory race cars when those things cross the block um i always perk my ears up and and more often than not uh in in a um oh i don't know sort of an enthusiast setting uh not a collector setting those cars don't bring what they they should i find that's kind of a disappointing thing but that's just me you know you take buy the car buy it for small bring it to the next place and sell it for what it's worth and that's good on you if, if you bought it and can do that and you own one right
0: and you even driven it on the street
1: yeah, well, I, my cars, I like altered wheelbase cars, and I've, I've created three of them. One was a Chevy Nova called the Wilshire Shaker. The other was a 63 Dodge called the Rampage. And those cars, I've, I've yeah. built them and then sold them. And I have one now that I still I still have. It's a 1981 Ford Fairmont. I call it the Funny Fairmont, and I drive it around pretty much everywhere. If you just just Google Funny Fairmont, and you'll see a picture of the thing. <laughs> it's uh, it's an 81 two-door post with a 4.6, four valve, four cam with the Australian eight-stack injection, five-speed. It kind of looks the part of an old-time funny are. but i love building models of them and wink wink there's something kind of cool this right here just hit the marketplace this is the first ever altered wheelbase model and this basically is by mobius this is the golden commandos is this is coming up okay can you see it already yeah, No, no, sixty-five velvet okay,
0: here it looks like
1: yeah, correct yeah and, and this is actually the first model Ever done of an altered wheelbase car? Everything previous was sort of toy-like from A.M.T. and M.P.C. in the 60s. This is a very well-researched, well-done model, and the box is uh, is this right here. But but first, I yeah. remember Mobius. These guys right uh, right here, Mobius. They came out with these things, and um, yeah, model the model kit of the first altered wheelbase car. This is the the Golden Commandos cars, which still exists. But I like to build myself. I take uh, I take a model like this one here. And I'll slice it and dice it and turn it into this <laughs> Yeah, right. and I also the wheelbase and and the thing of it is you know I, I sl- like move the wheelbase forward and stuff and I build them so they're sort of launching like that and I put weight in the bag right there you can see the little are wheel weights <laughs> yeah from uh, yeah. from you know when I glue them in so the car sits and it actually does a wheel stand It kind of balances <laughs> like that
0: oh how great is that and
1: so or it sits flat but uh, <laughs> so yeah, I don't own any factory funny cars those things like I say are, are quite expensive and people can't really drive them because they're all out race cars, but uh, you can alter the wheelbase on anything and make it cool,
2: you know? So yeah. yeah. Wait till Dale sees that. Yeah. You'll get well, a call. Single.
1: Yeah. Dale and I, Dale Snoke, we're, we're good buddies. In fact, he did a lot of the welding on my Fairmonts oh, and yeah. uh, also on the Rampage Dart. And it's funny because I, I did a book some years back, how to build altered wheelbase cars. Okay. And in this is Dale welding on some of my stuff. <laughs> and uh, oh, funny. Like back, there's, there's Dale... Hey, where's where's Dale right there? Uh-huh. Welding. as our buddy. <laughs> anyway. yep. So yeah, yeah. Yeah. Dale's a good guy.
0: Good to see us. That's very good. No, I, that's, that's great that you're putting that together. We, I'm going to go back to the, um, to the uh, pandemic thing again. When you found out, uh, how did that affect you? How did it affect the show? What happened when you found out that everything was getting shut down?
1: Well, I'll tell you, it was kind of weird. We were at Stevens Performance in Anderson, Alabama, doing an all-Mopar episode. And the word on the set, in particular, the fellow named Doug, he's the camera guy, he kept looking at his phone. Guys, this is getting real. 210 people in China. And the next wow, well, 500 people. He says, "Boy, this is kind of weird." And we thought, "Well, it's over in China. I mean, it's sad, but you know, it won't be here." But on set during that episode, we were sort of we first got our senses that there's something going on here, and then uh, we we all flew home. And then within a week, the word came out that, "Hey, this thing's gonna be everywhere mathematically." And sure enough, mathematically, it has been everywhere. It's still doing its thing. So it was on set, and but we were every day. He'd say, Doug, our cameraman, uh, he would say, "Boy, 210 and." 215 cases, that whole thing, but nothing in the States yet, but uh, that was the first of it, you know.
0: Like, I have to say, what, what have you been doing to pass the time, just out of curiosity?
1: Well, you know, building model cars, and I have an Instagram page where I sort of will uh, in about eight steps, take a model kit from standard to altered. And one thing, I, I don't paint them, and here's here's one I just did recently. you know another one, this is a sixty six mercury, and I, I altered the wheelbase, and it's kind of kind of crunchy, but again, I, I call these funny car folk art, and a lot of guys, you gonna paint it? You never paint a car after you build it. But with that said, um, I sit in front of the TV, you know, watching Motor Trend or, or Ancient Aliens. I love watching that on History it's a cool show. I'll sit there watching that stuff and uh, and just blast these things out, kind of like in a fever. And I don't worry about paint and detail. But I've been building around models and some writing, too.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, although car magazines, as you know, uh, 19 of the 22 run by Peterson were, were canceled. So yeah. I'm not writing as much as I used to. But yeah, yeah,
0: talk about yeah. that.
1: I mean, yeah, well, that happened on december December sixth, as they say, a day that will live in infamy. Um, and what I heard was um, in in LA in Douglas was it uh, Douglas Boulevard uh, source Interlink media, which of course is ten slash motor trend, on a Friday afternoon, after lunch, all everybody's gathered together. Hey, folks, meeting, mandatory, come on in. And everybody was told on that day, it was December fifth a Friday, uh, the magazines are done. And it wasn't even like a wind down. They said, stop it's over. And so magazines were at the printing press and everything back to magazines were being, you know, cons- you know planned out all of that unplugged so there was no farewell issue for a lot of these magazines like you know Mopar Muscle, Muscle Car Review, uh, Chevy High Performance, Rod and Custom, all of them just unplugged like a light bulb and 105 people you know were, were, were sent packing uh, and it was something that everybody knew was coming because when the merger with, uh, with Discovery Channel happens uh, between Motor Trend Discovery, uh, Discovery folks made it clear hey we're, we're interested in your digital element roadkill that whole thing but the paper stuff we do not want to be involved with because they didn't see it as a growth industry and I guess they were right you know so sadly 19 magazines um sent by the wayside what that leaves I think is a vacuum now Hemmings has a a, a strong couple of books of course Hemmings Muscle Machines Hemmings Classic Car I read I subscribe to both Terry McGeehan and Jeff Koch were both my my co-workers at Hot Rod way back when and they're running those magazines or they're at them so there's life, I think. And, and it could well be that we'll see uh, some tentative steps maybe to relaunch things like carcraft. Let's hope, you know, but I, I was shocked by it. I, in fact, I had a couple of stories. This right here, this is my office where I work. I was writing some stories for those magazines. I got a phone call of Bob Melhoff, editor of Mopar Muscle, said, hey, Steve, stop, don't bother, don't finish. What, what? well, we're done. You know, we're all, so it was, it was a shock to everybody, but really not a shock at the same time. So, yeah, it was,
2: yeah. It, it was kind of strange because you had some of the publications that were doing quite well. We Street Rodder was yeah. the top magazine in its segment. It's gone. Yeah. We, yeah. And that was just kind of, really? You, you got yeah. the number one magazine and you're shutting it down.
1: Yeah. Well, I think what it came down to is, um, you know, I understand that something like uh, 60% of the revenue of those 22 magazines came from three of them, Motorstrand, Hot Rod, and Rod, and uh, Four Wheeler. That means 40% of the revenue came from 19 so if you ask me I mean it wasn't a big number but they threw a lot of baby out with the bathwater you know what I mean yeah. but at the same time I think the idea was to minimize you know the, the paper element which was part of the deal when discovery came along and they all everybody knew that it was coming so you know it's it's supposedly the way things are I remember when I started Hot Rod Magazine back in 1998 in fact I was at Hot Rod from August 19th through January 20th 2004 I got on my wall here I did 20 or 77 <laughs> episodes or 20 77 issues of Hot Rod Hukart, I was a yeah. part of as tech editor, but uh, but even then we were talking about this, when I first got the Hot Rod, we didn't have the internet, but by 2001, yeah. two, three, four, the word was, you know, this is changing the world's we had hotrod.com and the big problem back then was, um, you know, how, how could you monetize? How could you charge people for visiting hotrod.com? What we did instead was the stories we wrote for the magazine, we had extra content online, which people could then go, go see. And I think the problem still remains, how do you monetize magazines online? You know, How do you get people to pay for that? I don't know. It's it's a problem. But, you know, it's it's certainly, it's a train. It's coming through town and it's not stopping,
0: you know. Yeah, I, I've got to say this, at least, as you could tell, Bob and I still have, are afflicted with a condition called pandemic hair. Yeah. Uh, yeah I, uh, in California, yeah. at least, well, now where Bob lives, you can actually get your hair cut, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, in my neck of the woods, closer to Los Angeles, they're not allowing haircut places to open yet. And I'm not to the point where I'm ready to jump into my hairstylist's house or apartment or something like that. But but you, I mean, are barbers working at your place or did you do it yourself? I gotta say, you guys are looking fine. your hair looks fine mine this is uh, i did this
1: myself this I, about uh, five weeks ago my hair was getting long and i says i can't I, I, I have a clipper which i use on my cat believe it or not <laughs> anyway so i put i put the guard on i tried to do the, the short and the size long and the top it was going wrong i took the guard off to zap my hair it just went bald so it's four weeks of growth right here and, and uh yeah this is it, And in Massachusetts, last week, they just allowed people to go to barbers and hairdressers with an appointment. But before last week, it was the same thing. You could not get a haircut anywhere. So I did the the most logical thing, and I just chopped it off. And it was wonderful at first, you know. At first...
0: Um, now
2: you get stuck to your pillow at night because you're sticky. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's right. Yeah, everybody thinks I'm in the Marines or something like that, or you know. <laughs> yeah, it's well, growing yeah. out. It's
0: growing out. Well, you know, you got to do something while you're in pen. You know, in quarantine or right. something. So just to just to reiterate, you cut your hair with clippers intended for your
1: cat. Well, the thing of it is, I mean, one thing all around here, maybe we're. Clippers were like in zero supply. You couldn't find them anywhere. And and I, they were from Petco, like 190 bucks. These brawn clippers could be used on anything you want, you know, but I had okay. a cat that was kind of, had mothballs. I cleaned it with alcohol, you know, and I was at my, I figured, you know, I, I hold the cat, I can, I can use the same clippers.
2: <laughs> That's
0: <This laughs> not yeah. this
2: clippers is and cat
0: allergic paper. to cats. Yeah, right.
2: yeah, no, right. <laughs> clippers and toilet paper, both in short supply. I don't know. Yeah, right.
0: <laughs> yeah. All right. So, Let's get an update on, uh, it's been a while since we've talked back at Barrett-Jackson a few years ago. Let's get the update. Your first car was a? Was a... Well, it was a Renault Le car
1: or a 69 AMC Ambassador, depending on which, uh, or a hemi Charger. Those three, I guess you could buy uh, first. But my mom, I had my mom's Renault Le Car. Uh, that was one of the first. Um, and then, of course, there was, well, technically the very first car that I ever had in my possession, a 69 AMC Ambassador Corridor, former Civil Air Patrol. Yeah, that was the first. And then I had a hemi charger, which was the first hot rod I ever bought. And that was going from a Lacar to a Hemi Charger was uh, an interesting step. Didn't you have a sixty four Dodge somewhere in there? Well yes, yes, certainly. That was it was within the first couple of years. Yeah. Oh, sixty four okay. Dodge. Oh, well, uh, there you go. I put a max wedge in it. Sure, that was in there. Oh, it was in the mix yeah. and yeah, okay. I, I bought it in the funny thing is, I used to work for a company called Munchkin Motors, an automotive toy store, and we traveled Hershey, Carla. we even came down to San Diego to Jack Murphy Stadium in like 1988, I think it was, with our trailer and all these wagons and toy cars. And at that place, I found a 64. 64- Ford Dodge Pilar with a three three dual quads push button torque flight three ninety one and three quarter twenty seven hundred bucks right which today I mean it was it was fair money back then for that car so I bought it we flat towed it back to Connecticut behind the the uh, Econoline Munchkin van and uh, and then I built that into a Max wedge clone after a while but twenty seven hundred bucks for a sixty four wow. Pilar and it was a California car which is the bottom line out here in Massachusetts yeah. rusts everything turns to rust within five years it just turns to junk but that car was solid. And, uh, yeah, I bought it in, in California, flat towed it across, and uh, had it here about 87, 88 through about 1991, I think it
0: was. And, uh, right. yeah, it turned and, and what's tomorrow. in your garage now?
1: Well, I only I only have three. I've had as many as 12, 13, 14. But right now I have a, a 1998 GMC Sonoma with a 4.8 liter LS motor V8 swap. Uh, it's peppy. It looks stock, single exhaust, but it'll lay rubber and pass pass anything I want, you know, within reason. Um, and then I have a, a smart car, a 2009 smart car, those little four two things. And uh, it, they're they're neat little cars. It's it's kind of like um, I can say to somebody, it's like the modern very version of the uh, Nash Metropolitan or the Bantam, you know, in a way. And it's a well engineered car. It's got rear wheel drive and kind of cool. Uh, it's like driving a go kart. And then, of course, I have the '81 Ford Fairmont altered wheelbase car with the camera motor. So, those are the three I have right now.
0: Yeah, and it's right. fine.
1: You can only drive one at a time. I finally figured that out. <laughs> I, see. I
0: see. And the one you're missing that you wish you could get back someday. Well, you know, when I the cars that I sold,
1: I pretty much sold them for a very solid reason, and either to pay for the next one. I don't really have sellers remorse on anything. Oh, I guess I did sell my uh, my Rampage Dodge Dart. We went for 19.5 at the auction. It would have been nice to see something like 25 or 34. So if I could have that back, I would, but it's okay. The fellow who has it drives it all over the place. He loves it. And, um, you know, it's okay. That was the rampage altered wheelbase dart, <clears throat> which is, Go
0: ahead, Bob.
2: Which, which is the best, uh, if you were going to sell your car, is there one auction site that is better than another as far as drawing, uh, the buyer's?
1: Well, you know, I, I got to say I've done a lot with eBay. I appreciate eBay, appreciate eBay but I, I've never done Craigslist or like that. And, um, you know, I, I guess, um, you know, eBay can be a good thing. And, of course, you know, Barrett-Jackson's a good place. I mean, it's costs some money to get the car in. But if you want, uh, you know, probably the most eyeballs and the strongest bidders to look at your car, Barrett-Jackson's not a bad thing to do either. I'll leave it like that. Uh, and, of course, the private sale, that's always a good thing to do. You know, put your car on the paper and, and hope for the best.
2: Well, along the lines of Barrett Jackson, is there a venue that is better? or? Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, I will say this. Yeah, the, the Scottsdale show, that's the mothership. That's a six-day event in every January, and that's the one. If you can afford to wait and hold your car and do it at, the, at that one, you'll have – the most eyeballs at that one. The smaller shows, you know, Sun in Connecticut, um, Florida, Palm Beach, those are equally good shows, but you will see the caliber of cars at those shows won't be quite what you'll find at Scottsdale because most folks, they, they, they keep their 10th ten, cars for Scottsdale, and it may be, you know, the fun cars come out for the smaller shows. And of course, Vegas, is a, it's a unique show too. Uh, Vegas, you'll find a lot of European well, Lamborghinis and Ferraris, that sort of thing, and some muscle cars, but Scottsdale, yeah, that's the mothership. That's where most people do their really serious business you know it's one
0: mm. okay well uh for those of you who uh, follow us and on uh, social media and the like you know we also have a patreon account we're also at inviting you to join us as patrons uh it only takes a little bit of funding to help us out and you know just basically deal with some minor expenses for the show is what it amounts to put it online put it on uh, YouTube, because this will be on YouTube as well. So if you want to do that, we're also, as part of luring you to uh, possibly invest in us a little more, Steve's going to talk to us about the top five cars that he has seen during his Junkyard show that he may want to take home if he could. So we're <laughs> going to talk about that coming up in our uh, in our Patron Patreon segment coming up here that you can watch. Uh, exclusively on uh, patreon.com. So that'll be coming up as well. So, well, i tell you what, S- I, Steve, this has been a great sh- visit with you. Great visit with you. And tell us a little bit, uh, are your books still out there? Can people still buy the books you have that you wrote? Sure, sure. Yeah, I've, I've done uh, five books so far. The first one was How to Build Altered Wheelbase
1: Cars, this one right here. And you can find this one most readily on uh, on on eBay you know, just type in altered wheelbase and there it will be. Uh, bear in mind, there are two versions of it. Uh, the first one is in color. The second one is a print on demand, which is in black and white. So if you if you're concerned with color, make sure you know which one you're buying. Because uh, uh-huh. the ones they do now are print on demand, black and whites. Beyond that, I did a show called Rusted Muscle, not a show, a, a book. And that was basically, um, you know, junk cars in the wild. And you can also find that online. And then the more important ones, I guess, are three: uh, 1001 Muscle Car Facts, 1001 Mustang Facts, and 1001 Corvette Facts. And those three books yeah. are readily found at, at Bonds and Noble and, of course, online. And uh, they're they're selling well, and uh, it's 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 a nice thing. They were each nine months of efforts, uh, you know, nine to twelve months, and it was a, a grinder. But I still have one more in me. I think I might do a Volkswagen Facts, Beetles, and Radics and stuff. That story hasn't been told yet. It's
0: it's a worldwide interest, so that might happen soon. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Very good. Very good. Bob, you have any other questions?
2: No, you, you've been great, Steve. I, I appreciate all the information you've given us and I look forward to, to watching you again because I always learn something about the cars when you're on stage, you, you yeah. just, you pick it up. Yeah. You've got your notes, but the point is you learned it. You went back yeah. to find it out.
1: Yeah. You know, I, I, I'll say in a couple of seconds, you know, our duty as, as sports casters or telecasters is to give a car a voice don't guess. Be accurate, and tell the tell something the car would like to tell you about itself that it can't. Three-speed manual on GTO, or you know, a tripod no, in, a, in a, a full-size Catalina. You know, just point out the weird stuff, and, and it takes an eye to find that stuff. Any one of us could do it, you know. But you have that third eye for hot rod stuff or interesting
0: stuff, and that's what we give the car a voice. It's as, as simple as that. Great. Steve McLaughlin, ladies and gentlemen, he joins us uh, again from his the steve montante mansion in beautiful massachusetts there you there you go thanks for joining us on this one we look forward to seeing you when uh production gets going again and uh, in the meantime you still have a lot of other shows uh that are still running on the motor trend app you want to check that out as well as well as uh, some of the other uh, bear jackson when it comes back so look forward to that hey don't forget everybody to listen to our radio podcast on radio.com knx1070.com Uh, Click the menu, On Demand and Talking About Cars on the KNX site. Follow us on social media or on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Plus, of course, our newly formed production company of Two Tired Guys Productions. Uh, Also, don't forget to subscribe and become a Two Tired Guys Productions patron by going to patreon.com and get all sorts of swag and stuff. Until next time, I'm (laughs) Randy With Steve Magnati as we have some fun talking about cars. We'll see you next time, everybody.